the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 670 for April 14th, 2019. Qualcomm announces three new chips, T-Mobile shows off its T-Vision service, and Sprint steps up incentives and satisfaction guarantees for switchers. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, before we get into the news, let's chat for a few minutes about a DIY phone project that Joey just did. So we've talked about it on a number of shows. Joey, of course, has the iPhone uh, 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 SE, excuse me, I'm thinking of, I was going to say 6S. It's based off of the 6S, uh, which uh, the SE, though, meaning the smaller size special edition device uh, and one that is no longer being made. So any upgrades or things that need to be done with it, you either have to go to Apple uh, or take care of a project yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I ended up dropping it this week from about six inches, but it fell face down right onto a screw. So it, it did crack the screen. So I immediately went on uh, and remembered that they had that Apple was selling brand new ones for 200 some bucks. So I almost ordered a new one, uh, but then just uh, waited a second, thought, oh, maybe I should look for a replacement screen. I saw iFixit had it for 50. I'm like, oh, that's even better because there's nothing wrong with my device. The battery's uh, uh, 99% rating still. So I'm like, oh, I don't need to do that quite yet. So then I thought, well, if iFixit has it for only 50, let me look for some other. So I went to Amazon, $17 for a replacement screen with... Um, with like the toolkit even to do it with all the little screwdrivers and everything uh, that I needed. Uh, some of the reviews, it was like a four and a half star, four star review. Some of the reviews said it's not quite as bright. The screen isn't quite as durable uh, were the the major complaints. So I thought, well, okay, I'll see how the brightness is and I'll, you know, just keep a screen, a screen protector on there anyways, which I should have had in the first place, which would have probably would have protected uh, the actual screen if I had that glass, uh, one of those tempered glass ones, which I usually used to keep on my devices a lot. Um, the, the screen brightness is, uh, now that I've got it installed, is definitely less than the original. And it also seems to be more of like a, a regular LCD instead of an in-plane switching. So like polarized glasses, it's definitely more effective by that but the whole entire process of changing out the screen was uh, interesting and had you know lots of little screws lots of little things to take off the original screen including the camera modules the earpiece things the the, the touch ID sensor but it was all you know just screwed on you just kind of moved it to the uh, to the new screen so it wasn't too bad it took about an hour altogether and it was all back together and uh, no issues whatsoever. So for $17, you can't beat that price. But what's kind of interesting about the inside and the screen itself is it, it is the identical part to a 5S. So they were able to reuse a lot of the 5S components in the iPhone SE to, to make it a cheaper phone. Now, when you're talking about it, taking everything apart and whatnot and, and all these screws and, and whatnot, uh, I'm thinking specifically about getting everything aligned properly. What does the, the kit come with that kind of helps you do that? Are there instructions? Are there little templates or what, what happens? Well, it came with a booklet, actually. It's like 17 pages long, but it shows pictures and highlights which screws you need to take out each step of the way to make it uh, appropriate. Um, some of the other things, you know, if you're not real familiar with the, these, these little, I don't even know how you call, what, what they're exactly called, but they're little clips that you have to kind of push in. They're little harnesses that you, they're circuit board harnesses that you plug in that are uh, attached to uh, the flexi cables. And those you have to be very delicate with. If you've got a, a good pair of tweezers, uh, that are like plastic ones to, so you don't mar it, that's, uh, best to have. 
but uh, it does walk you step by step how to do it. It also even came with this really handy magnetic um, uh, diagram of the phone with the little screws highlighted on it. So when you were taking when you when you take it apart, you can actually pop the screws onto this magnetic piece with the diagram of the phone on there, so you know right where the screws go back to when you put it back together. And I'm looking at the, the pictures Joe is showing me on the video chat. There's um, uh, on the bottom of it, of course, the, the way that this whole process starts is through uh, a couple of screws that are located on the very bottom of the device. And uh, this is one of the big differences between uh, these older devices and the newer devices is that uh, starting with um, th this process, uh, you know, on on a device like that, you're able to take off these screws. And I, I believe after those come out, then this, the screen pretty much starts to come off at that point, right? There was not a lot of glue or anything holding it in. No, there's no glue on the iPhone six and the iPhone, uh, you know, any of the iPhone fives or the SE. So that's uh, basically you have to use a suction cup to get it then started. And then you use the, uh, the, that, 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 that pry tool around the edge of the screen to unclip it. Right. And so the difference is with these waterproof devices, you've got a lot of glue that is keeping that seal around uh, the, you know, from the frame to the piece of glass that is for the screen and uh, a lot more difficult to get out. And uh, the replaceability of these screens has gone way down over the last couple of models. But uh, it also is assuming that a lot of people are doing this on their own. And um, I'm sure the there's, uh, you know, t thousands of these things that get sold because people break their screens all the time. But most people, I think, are just in general feel more comfortable with giving their phone to somebody to do it instead of doing it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, even if you you can get the newer devices open, uh, just never expect them to be waterproof again. Uh, and they do sell the replacement parts and you can do the same thing with it, but you'll never get it uh, sealed quite the same way. It, it'll be decent, but not not as good. Um, in other iPhone repair news, I sent out an iPhone 7 as well. The original one that I bought back when the iPhone 7 first came out, uh, somebody was using it and it failed. There was a, uh, you know, Apple did a recall on a bunch of the early iPhone 7s, um, there's a couple of different part numbers they sold around the world that uh, at some point the baseband chip just goes bad on it and it says, you know, you need to do an update uh, and the carrier update failed and it won't even authenticate new versions of the OS. It's just, it just, it's totally basically the cellular goes out entirely on it. Uh, the Wi-Fi still works, but kind, but, but not perfectly. There, there's some other issues with the system that happens. So um, Apple did uh, warranty it. They sent me the little box and then um, they, I sent the, the, the phone back in the box and, you know, a new one came back with a different serial number. And it says, we've changed your serial number because we've put a new battery and a new uh, thing. And I'm like, well, why don't you just say you send a refurb device? <laughs> I don't know why they <laughs> said we, we've, we've changed your serial number. It's really weird. But um, that particular device was on a device enrollment uh, program. So the original serial number is part of a, an Apple program where I can actually uh, as a system administrator can actually take control of the device. Even if somebody has the uh, activation lock turned on, I can actually disable it and uh, it's, it's a corporate device. And Apple did update that serial number in their system. So when the repair did go through, I saw that new number appear, which is the first time I've actually ever had to do that with a uh, device enrollment uh, program device. That's very interesting. The, the The process sounds like, though, they sent you a package, you send it to them, they send you a new phone back. Uh, this takes a, a couple of days, so certainly not a, um, a convenient thing if you don't have another device. I'm assuming this is for one of the users and you're able to just give them a different device to use for that couple of day period. 
Yeah, exactly. And it was actually a week is that, you know, how long it took because it, you know, two days for the box and then, you know, I, you know, had to send it them the next day. So then two more days for it to get there. And then it took them a few days to actually get to it and send the next one out. So two more days. So it's, it's not a quick process. And not something that if this is your only device, you're going to be willing to wait for, you're going to have to go into an Apple store and deal with it. But uh, yeah, if otherwise you can make that time work, then certainly the shipping option is generally more convenient because then you don't have to go into a store. Well, let's jump into the news. First up, Qualcomm's latest Snapdragon chips are uh, bringing advanced features to higher-end phones uh, that are a bit more affordable than these flagship devices that we have today. The company announced three new chips this week, two in the 7 series, one in the 6 series. One is focused specifically on gaming phones. So first up, the 730 is the first 7 series chip with Spectra 350 image processing that's capable of advanced computer vision functions using less power. It supports high resolution depth sensing, 4K HDR photos in portrait mode, and the new uh, HEIF image format. The 730 also has a powerful AI capability thanks to its Hexagon 688 processor with Hexagon Vector Extensions and Hexagon Tensor Accelerator. The Hexagon 688 is twice as powerful as the predecessor for faster intelligent functions in the areas of the camera, gaming, voice, and security. It also has the Cryo 470 CPU, Adreno 618 GPU, X15 LTE modem for download speeds up to 800 megabits per second, and support for Wi-Fi 6. Then there's the 730G. So this is a version of the 730 processor, but optimized for gaming. It's based on that 730, but upgrades the enhanced Adreno 618 GPU for up to 15% faster graphic rendering. It also includes anti-cheating extensions and a jank reducer feature that can reduce janks by up to 90% in games running at 30 frames per second. Finally, the 665 processor, which has an X12 LTE modem for download speeds of up to 600 megabits per second, Cryo 260 CPU, and Adreno 610 GPU. The Spectra 165 image processor supports advanced camera features such as scene recognition and super resolution snapshots at up to 48 megapixels. Its signal processing supports AI functions via the Hexagon Vector extensions. All these chips are expected to be used in phones shipping in mid-2019. In AT&T news, AT&T has a new promotion offering double the data on its mid-range plans. For $40 a month, customers can get 16 gigs of high-speed data instead of the usual 8. The plan also includes unlimited talk and text, of course, across North America and requires that customers enroll in auto pay uh, to get the $40 price, or it's $50 and includes only the usual 8 gigs of data if you don't have auto pay. The plan does include a rollover where unused data is available the following month, and it works by adding a special 8 gigabyte block of bonus data each month month. That bonus data is first used, followed by the standard data allotment. That bonus data, however, does not roll over. Therefore, a customer used if a customer used 8 gigs in one month, they could have up to 24 gigs of high-speed data available in the following month. The plan also includes HD video and mobile hotspot. The next plan up is the unlimited prepaid plan for $65 a month or $55 with auto pay, but that does not include HD video or mobile hotspot. The double data promotion is available until July 11th, but customers who signed up before will be able to receive the double data as long as they stay on the plan and signed up with auto pay. 
In Verizon news, an MVNO called Visible is using the Verizon network and is backed by Verizon. They are now offering free Android phones to new customers who trade in an old Android phone. Like most trade-in offers, any working Android phone is accepted as long as it turns on, uh, is paid off, and is not already compatible with Visible, making the Galaxy S9 or S9 Plus ineligible. The free new phones in, in, in the Visible plan are the R2 by ZTE, which has a fingerprint reader, 13 megapixel camera, 2 by one HD display, USB-C, and normally sells for $100. Visible will ship the new phone first, giving customers 14 days to send in their old phone, so customers are never without a phone. There are no activation fees, shipping fees, taxes, or contracts. Visible offers unlimited service for $40 a month. Data, though, is limited at 5 megabits per second. The company has no physical locations, offering activation support and customer interactions via its application. T-Mobile this week announcing plans for a TV service called T-Vision Home. The new service is the carrier's attempt to take on traditional cable providers and will be launching in eight cities starting this coming week. T-Mobile is touting T-Vision Home as a BS-free service with no hidden fees, no bill creep or exploding offers, no annual service contracts or terrible customer service. However, the service comes at a high price that may may not be all that different from the traditional cable bill that you're already paying. Uh, and even though that pricing at $110 is relatively, uh, excuse me, at $90 is relatively consistent and won't increase over time, if you add on other premium stations like HBO, uh, you can quickly get over the average $107 per month cable bill that T-Mobile says uh, is uh, found here in the United States. Now, as for pricing, T-Mobile won't be competing with other online streaming services such as Hulu's Live TV or YouTube TV, uh, and the addition of to the eight initial cities uh, will will happen, but not until later this year. So let's talk a little bit about this. So obviously a service that is being offered uh, as an over-the-top type of service by a provider of a wireless network. And this kind of goes into what we've talked about on many times on the show, which is having these internet providers now providing this content to the customer. Yeah, exactly. So again, you know, if if T-Mobile decides now that we don't have the neutrality that they want to really promote this service, they will, you know, they have the ability to start throttling and blocking services like YouTube and Netflix and some of the other ones uh, to prioritize their TV service. So this is, you know, no different than Comcast and of course, you know, their NBC Universal and all the 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 video that they own uh, the the actual rights to in the content. So again, you know the the you know the the days of the internet being uh, basically where it should be a utility where it's completely. It uh, doesn't matter what's coming over the pipe, you know, the dumb pipe to your house. It's now, you know, a- as this is an example of now increasingly being owned by the content providers and the video uh, owners. Yeah, and if I think, you know, also about where this is going to go, we have a service that is not that much cheaper than cable. And in fact, I when I saw the price, I, I, I it looked about three times higher than I thought it was going to be. But when you think about what is being offered and the amount of content uh, and the licensing fees that have to be paid to all of these channels, it's not there's no way for them to really make it much cheaper. And so if you are considering going to a service like this, it's going to be for, I think, a very different way, which is or reason, which is um, you either already have T-Mobile and you like them as a, a company and you'd rather say, you know, stick it to your existing cable company. Or this is going to be uh, part of a, a, a different kind of play moving forward. So if you can potentially use this service over a, a T-Mobile connection in the future uh, at no additional cost or something like that, I could see that as being uh, some value 
you add that could be thrown in there. And this does make sense when you start thinking about 5G as an example, um, because if if they can, to your point, this kind of goes against, uh, you know, now that we don't have net neutrality in place where they could uh, prioritize uh, this type of video content over their network and uh, you can use their service and not have to pay for it and effectively have unlimited data if you're using the service. Uh, we've got a kind of almost an interesting and, um, you know, very, uh, I'll just say value added play uh, for going to a particular carrier if you can get this content as well. And then you're not having to pay for a home internet connection just for the streaming of your your content there so uh, it kind of could be an interesting one and uh, ultimately one of the things that could change the way that we are thinking about how our internet connections at our homes are, are done if you don't need to have a connection because your television content is all coming over the air then uh, it, it's it kind of negates a big ch- reason for why we're using this thing so uh, but uh, either way it's um, you know it is definitely expensive it's only available in a few locations and I don't think it's going to change the world like uh, T-Mobile wants it to but uh, certainly an interesting option nonetheless in Sprint news, Sprint on Friday uh, launching a satisfaction guarantee to let potential customers try out Sprint's latest LTE coverage risk-free for 30 days. If you're not happy, you can cancel and have all your phone costs, service charges, and fees fully refunded. The offer also applies to existing customers adding a new line. Sprint is offering up to $650 to cover switching fees, such as paying off of a phone payment plan with another carrier. And also for a limited time, Sprint is offering a $250 prepaid MasterCard when buying a new iPhone 10s or 10s Max from Sprint and porting a phone number from a competitor. Like most carriers, Sprint has spent billions of dollars recently to improve coverage and data performance, and they now claim that that has increased, it resulted in an increase of 36.4% in national average download speeds year over year and 30% more total LTE data coverage nationwide thanks to roaming agreements that have been executed over the last year. In device news, the Samsung Galaxy A80 has a unique triple camera module that normally faces rearward but is motorized so it can handle it can slide up and the metal frame is spun around to face forward for selfie mode photos samsung announced the phone this week and plans to launch it by the end of may the camera design allows a 6.7 inch full hd amoled display to cover the entire front without a notch the camera module includes a 48 megapixel main camera 8 megapixel wide camera and 3d depth camera the 3d depth camera enables live focus for portrait effects in the video uh, not just photos a large 3700 milliamp hour battery can charge quickly with 2.5 watt charging. The fingerprint reader, or excuse me, 25 watt charging at 2.5. The fingerprint reader is built into the display and it comes with a generous 8 gigs of RAM and 128 gigs of storage, though it does not support memory cards. The A80 will be available in black, gold, pink, or blue and white. Specific pricing and launch countries, though, were not announced. Now back to the Samsung Galaxy Fold. Uh, It will be available for purchase starting very soon. April 26th is the date. The networks uh, initially available, uh, it'll be available on RETNT and T-Mobile. You can also pick this one up at Best Buy or the Samsung Experience stores. And online orders will be available the night before, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern. And now, Samsung will also be, excuse me, midnight Eastern. Samsung will be accepting pre-orders uh, of this device starting on April 12th. Uh, and people who have signed up to receive uh, the updates will also have uh, received those this week. Samsung has confirmed 
confirmed that the Galaxy S10 5G will be available for launch in May here in the United States. Verizon has previously announced that it will be the first U.S. carrier to offer the phone with a period of exclusivity. AT&T also recently revealed that it will offer an S10 5G in the spring, which implies that AT&T will launch the phone sometime in June. In software news, uh, Google has expanded its two-step verification options when logging into Google services on a tablet or computer to allow the use of any Android 7 Plus phone as a hardware security key. The option is available as of this week for both personal and business accounts. It requires the Google Chrome browser on the computer or tablet. And after entering a password on the computer, the user then needs to press one button on their phone, initiating a secure exchange of cryptographic keys over Bluetooth, which completes the login. Passwords only allow only the limited security, so the two-step verification is recommended for most users. Basic versions of a two-step verification use one-time codes sent over a text message or within an application, but users can be easily tricked into giving these codes to others, and new sometimes codes can also be intercepted. The most secure uh, two-factor authentication relies on a separate physical device carried by the user, Google sells such a keychain device, the Titan Security Key, for $50, but now the Android 7 Plus devices that millions of people around the country and world own can serve that purpose. Those Google still recommends a secure backup key in case the phone is lost. Yeah, and Apple kind of does the same thing with their devices. If you have more than one Apple device when you're using two factor authentication with Apple services, they will send the code directly to the iOS device and you'll see the, the code pop up on the screen. Um, what you have. Of course, sometimes it's annoying if you don't have it with you, if it's at home or something like that, but that's what they're using as well. Yeah, the other nice thing that Apple does, and this is goes back to that easily being tricked thing, is they also say, um, you know, another device is trying to log in from, and it shows you a little map of where the device is. So if you happen to Maybe the coincidence is you happen to be logging in from somewhere and uh, you're in Washington, D.C., and it pops up and it's showing you know somewhere on the other side of the world. You know it's obviously not you. So there is something that's uh, pretty convenient about that as well, and it kind of gives you that, at least at a quick glance, sense that you know it is, in fact, you that is trying to make this transaction happen. So, um, But uh, agreed that it is nice that uh, um, you, know, you, you have that ability on iOS devices, and obviously for the Android side now, being able to use your phone is, is all the better here because it just makes this whole process much more, uh, much more sensible and uh, much more convenient for people. Uh, one question uh, this week, and it comes from Chris. He writes, Mickey and Joey, uh, two comments first for you and then a question. Joey, I'm in complete agreement with you about smaller phones. I have an iPhone 7 and will probably finally upgrade this year. iOS 12 has made my phone feel better and I have no real complaints, but I should upgrade to a nicer camera as my family has recently gotten bigger. Also, I do like the OLED displays on the new 10 devices. I've handled some of my coworkers' phones and they just feel too wide and tall for me though. I'd much rather have an SE2 with an OLED OLED display, but such is life. Yeah, there is, you know, again, returning rumors that we may see one, nothing concrete yet, but the rumor mill still swirling, but it has been for years too. Yeah, and this is a obviously a device that you guys are carrying here, or you specific, specifically, Joey, here with this uh, SE device uh, that is, uh, you know, relatively old at this point. But as you pointed out, it's not like it's not functioning. And there was a randomly uh, a story in the Washington Post today that talked about 
kind of this trend now where it says your new phone should be a used phone and you should go back in and find a refurbished older device because we're over the past couple of years, the improvements in devices with the exceptions of cameras have really not been all that significant. And frankly, when was the last time you took a bad picture? I think I mentioned this on the show before. I always think about this. Someone mentioned this to me. The, 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 Pictures that have been, you know, taken with cell phone cameras really in the last five years have been pretty good. And yes, there are improvements that happen with every camera. I will not dispute that. But they are still good enough in in most cases for the things that you're trying to do. Yeah, they really are. Of course, the low light uh, functionality and of course the... You know, I have got the iPad Pro 11 and that has a much better camera than the iPhone SE. And I really do notice when I've taken the picture with the iPad versus the the phone camera, because it is a lot nicer. Well, certainly. I also would argue, though, that, you know, what is it that you're doing with your photos? And, you know, are they being used for reference or using them for for printing? You know, uh, I know the answer to this. So, I, But, uh, you know, I, I also know that other people will would argue, uh, yes, I use them for pictures, or for, you know, printing or whatnot. Um, I also have, uh, you know, used uh, an iPhone 6 uh, photo that I took um, in in indoor relatively low light scenario, uh, and it's it's a photo that I printed and it's framed and it's up on a, on a wall, um, and uh, here in my house that I love because I love the picture itself and the quality isn't great and I don't care because it's a cool picture and uh, but that it's so infrequent that I do that that I I don't I don't I can't say that the better cameras have made me a better photographer because it absolutely isn't the case. But anyway, back to Chris. He says, under my second comment, a while back, I contacted you both about my thoughts about the Apple Watch Series 3. Uh, Mickey, you had mentioned that you use your nose a lot to control the watch. This advice has helped me on numerous times, and I've become somewhat of an expert on nose-to-screen interfacing, so thank you very much. It's it's interesting. I, I, I did it earlier today, Joey. I was trying to text you to say, um, I'm going to be ready to record here in 10 minutes, and I was washing the dishes, and uh, and my hands were sopping wet. And, of course, after one press of the watch screen that didn't do anything, I just gri- pulled out my nose, so to speak, and uh, and, and I was off to uh, sending you a Siri message. And that's interesting. You didn't use the the Hey Siri it command work. on the watch. <laughs> it didn't oh, work. Of course. Why, <laughs> why would you want that to work? That was the right first then, thing right? I tried. That didn't okay. work. So then I started mashing the screen and, and then the nose came out. Right. Well, because, of course, you know, if your finger's wet and you touch the screen, then there's water all over the screen. Then the screen does not work if there's water on the screen. And I had used my nose this week because, uh, you know, I set a timer for something that was cooking. And by the before, of course, right before the timer went off, I started, you know, fiddling with it and my hands were not free to stop the timer on the watch. So I used my nose to stop the timer. I love the uh, the nose to screen interfacing uh, comment, Chris. So thank you for that. Uh, to Chris's question, he says, "I currently use YouTube Premium, which does does allow me to download videos as well as play the audio from videos when I'm out of the application or my phone is locked. I don't have unlimited data, and sometimes when I'm out and about, I want to listen to a long video that I have not downloaded. When I start a video and lock my phone, I notice that when I go back to the YouTube app, the video is paused and it has to catch back up. The audio, of course, has still been playing. So does the question question is, does that playing of audio from the YouTube app use less data or does the data think that it's still streaming a video because it's attached to the audio uh, or is it use less but a negligible amount? Thanks so much, 
Chris, um, so l- l- just first to answer this question with a speculatory answer and then have got a way for you here that uh, you can verify what's actually happening. So my thought is that the amount of data being used when the screen is off is going to be less. Obviously, video uses much more data than audio. So if it is the case where the video gets paused on the device when it is asleep, then yes, you're going to be using uh, less data because only the audio is being streamed and it's going to be more friendly to your data plan. However, we don't know that for sure, especially when it comes to the, the specifics of the YouTube app. So there is an easy way to test this and understand how much data is actually getting used. Go into the settings on your iPhone, then into cellular data. And in there, it's going to show you the amount of data that's being used by each application. And what you can do is at the very bottom of all of that list of applications, you can click on reset and you can reset the amount of data that was being used. So what I would do is uh, reset that counter, make sure your phone is not on Wi-Fi and then do a test where you have the screen on and stream something for exactly a certain amount of time, five minutes, make it pretty controlled so you've already got the video queued up and everything. And then do the same test with the screen off uh, where you basically click play and turn the screen off right away. Uh, Five minutes later, see what the difference is. Uh, Obviously, you would have had to reset the the data um, timer in there. Uh, or logger in there, but that's going to tell you what the difference is. And uh, I would ask that when you do that, uh, you know, let us know how it goes, because it's a very interesting concept. And uh, I think, you know, you are for, you know, I'm sure one of many people who would love to know this answer, and not just because of the the data saving capabilities of something like this, but also from an experiential standpoint, if you're in an area that doesn't have great service, or in a congested network environment, you could potentially have a better experience if the video is not getting pulled down, and all it's doing is streaming audio. And this is very apparent if you have streamed audio in the last, say, you know, five years, uh, it's, it's a relatively... Um, you know, good experience and it's a good process because it doesn't use all that much data. And if you happen to find yourself in a network, you know, setting where you've only got 3G data, uh, you'll sometimes notice that that it is not as good. And this is really where LTE has kind of stepped it up and made it good enough so that we can stream pretty much audio under just about any uh, condition that the network is in. And so it's a, um, you know, it's something very interesting. But I love the question, Chris. And uh, so thank you very much for sending that in. And again, please uh, test it out and let us know how it goes, because it is, a, I think, a, a very interesting thing that a lot of people would like to know. Yeah, that is. And it's great that YouTube provides that option. I mean, it probably is uh, not using the data, but it's just tough to say without actually testing it. Right. And, uh, you know, ultimately, even if it is, uh, you know, it's it, not streaming it to the screen. So the the at least you're going to have some benefit of not having that screen on and uh, sucking down the battery. It's still going to use more battery if it is using video. But uh, anyway, we won't speculate anymore. You'll test it out and you'll let us know how it goes. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.